Hey everyone, welcome to Detoxicity, a show about progressive masculinity. My name is Mike Joseph, and I thank you for listening. Hopefully you enjoy what you hear. If you do, I humbly ask that you leave us a rating or a comment on whichever platform you are using to listen. Additionally, feel free to subscribe and follow me on social media. Detox Pod Guy on Instagram and Tiz Mike Joseph on Twitter. If you'd like to offer feedback, suggest a guest, or be a guest yourself, reach out to me on socials or via email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Enjoy the episode. I also want to take this opportunity to wish a happy Pride Month to all of the folks out there who identify as LGBTQIA+. Tanner Hines is a comic and musician based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Tanner also hosts and produces the Heavy Head Podcast, an episodic podcast that takes a hard look at various mental health diagnoses. Tanner and I share a wide range of conversation that involves dealing with depression, the act of self-care, having supportive family and friends, and living life as an openly bisexual man. Uh, Check out what me and Tanner talked about. I think you'll enjoy this podcast. Hey, my name is Tanner Hines. I am a comedian, musician, and podcast creator based out of Cincinnati, Ohio. I am a stand-up comedian. I am the frontman and guitarist and singer of a rock and roll band called Real Blue Heartache Kids. And then I also am the creator of the uh, scripted podcast about mental illness called Heavy Head Podcast. That's a lot of stuff, man. That's a lot of stuff, yeah. (laughs) I'm not a one-trick pony, I I don't think, so I I like to... do a bunch of different shit. So I find that's my, my, my happiest is when I'm creating stuff. So I create a lot. Excellent. Much, you know. Yeah. So I guess starting with the music and the comedy stuff, like how did you decide that you wanted to be a musician or a comedian? The uh, music started first. I, I took lessons as a teenager, guitar, piano, got semi-proficient at those and then just when I turned 18 I got my first drum set and that's really what was my focus for a lot of years. I was a drummer in some bands in college and then I started working in the studio here in Newport, Kentucky, which is right across the river from Cincinnati and one of the perks is they let you, I can use the space for free. So I was like, you know, I, I, I've been writing songs, I might as well finish these songs that I have and then record them because I can do it for free. And, you know, that studio project turned into, you know, Real Blue Hearted Kids, which is now a live band for the first time, which is exciting. So just the desire to want to keep myself involved in, in music, particularly, especially on the production side. And then just comedy just started you know, on a whim. I was just, I was a big comedy fan. George Carlin, I think George Carlin Pryor, like my one and two. I was slipping through channels one day. I saw my parents had HBO, which was was very amazing for you know a teenage kid in, in the suburbs. I just saw this old man on stage, like just saying these like most bizarre shit. And it was <laughs> it was George Carlin doing his I think his second to last HBO special. And I was like, what the fuck? I didn't even know what comedy was. I just saw this weird old guy saying this weird shit. And yeah, and then I I Cincinnati is a good comedy scene. Lots of opportunities, lots of mics, lots of, you know clubs get the ball rolling. And so I just tried it one night just on a whim and, it, you know, beginner's luck, I did pretty well. My first time got some laughs and just kept going. And it's been almost seven years since I started. So that's kind of my path. That's whenever I talk to comedians and for some reason, I feel this way about comedy more than I do about people who are musicians. Like to get on a, it, it's one thing to be like, okay, hey, I'm funny. It's another thing to be like, hey, I'm go- I'm funny and I'm going to get on a stage and try to make people laugh. Like, yeah. do, do you ever like freak out 
when you have to get on stage and, and you know, do you feel pressure? Yeah, I used to. I mean, it's hard to say right now because I've, I've, I haven't really performed. I'm starting to get back into comedy this month. I did some outside shows you know, last year. I did outside stuff, which felt safe and, and good. So I did pretty well after a couple months off. I've done Zoom show shows, which I don't recommend ever doing. <laughs> but yeah, in the beginning, I used to freak out. There, there, you know, there were you know, two or three times I remember particularly, you know, I was on stage. I had people ready to see me. And I get on stage and I just like, oh, fuck, I can't do this. Sorry. And then I just walk off stage. And it's, it's like the worst feeling ever, but that doesn't really happen much. Usually there's always nerves just because, you know, being what it is, putting yourself out there like that, but the freak outs don't happen really anymore. But yeah, that, that did happen in the beginning. So just trying to get my, my bearings of you know, what the fuck am I doing up here? Right. So, yeah. Okay. So now on to the podcast, which is a pretty, you know, it's called the heavy head podcast and it is a yeah. very heavy podcast. Yeah. What- yeah. Yeah. What was it that made you decide, it's much needed, by the way, you're doing a great thing, but what was it that made you decide you wanted to do a podcast and specifically spotlight mental illness? You know, being that the creative person, at some point, that means eventually having your own podcast, which I'm sure you understand. That's, that's the way things go nowadays. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have a podcast, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. So what are you doing? I started one where it's just kind of like, kind of like what you do when it's just, I talk, interview other people. But I always try to do it. I try to do things differently, try to come up with new ways of doing things. So I, I know I, did, I didn't want to go to the interview, right? I wanted to do something more involved, more creative. And then my friends were trying to pitch the show to uh, a couple of different networks, like uh, old country, like Western, like, like Hayride sort of show. Um, okay. Trying to do that. And I helped out with that. Like, this is kind of a quite a kind of scripted thing because that's, that's different. And then being a lifelong sufferer of mental illness, I was like, well, that's kind of like my wheelhouse, I guess, so to speak. And so, I, you know, I got to a point in my treatment where I, I felt good enough to where I felt, what, how can I get start giving back to, you know, the community? And so the, I, that, that happened, those are like kind of like two worlds clients seeing like my friends try to do this show. I thought maybe I can do that sort of same thing with, with, to talk about mental illness and that's kind of where the seed of it all started you know two or three years ago so yeah and does it this goes back i guess to the theme of really kind of putting yourself out there yeah like, does it do you ever listen to an episode and think back and like holy shit, did i really say all that stuff or write that and, and put it into the world so that now the public has this like information about me? Yeah, in all my creative endeavors, I, I I get personal. So this one in particular is super deep. So yeah, that happens a lot, but that's kind of the idea. When I'm working on something, if it makes me feel uncomfortable, then I, that's kind of a guide like, okay, I'm on the right spot. I'm on the right track. So I try to go even deeper. So yeah, any episode I could pick out four or five things, all oh, that's that made me uncomfortable. But I think that's that's what makes it real. And I think that's, that's to me, that's the only thing I'm interested in as an artist is trying to find what, what's real out there. And so that's, that's sort of my God. So yes, there's lots of things that made about that project that made me uncomfortable, but I think that's, that's sort of the idea. That's how I want to pursue things. Where'd that come from? Cause I feel like one theory that I have is that when something makes people uncomfortable, they don't run towards it, they run away from it. It's really easy a lot of times to go the road most traveled. And right. things that make people uncomfortable are generally things that people shy away from. What is it about you and your experience that 
makes you confront the difficult topics that you confront? It's a good question. I spent most of my life uh, in an uncomfortable place. So it's, I, I guess I'm sort of used to that. And a lot of just, you know, my favorite artists are the people that I enjoy, that's sort of what they do too, is, is they go after the truth and whatever medium they choose to, to write about. That's what that's what hits home with me. So I want to be able to do what they do. Even with between mental illness, the only way the way out is through. So you have to confront it. So I carry that ideal into my everyday life. You know, that's what helps me get through my illness. So just just confronting that and having that be sort of how I go about things is how I want to live my life. So that's pretty damn admirable. So you said just a minute ago that you've always kind of uh, had this feeling of of being uncomfortable or discomfort yeah. do, do you, can you pinpoint like when that started or even like what the cause of it was causes because I, I guess there doesn't necessarily need to be just one yeah i mean it's just something i was thinking about recently my whole life i, I never really felt like i really belonged anywhere or that i, I I'm not really like most other people. I'm not saying that makes me better or worse. I just feel like my ideals, the things that I enjoy, my, the way my brain works, like I can't be how, maybe I'm just perceiving that wrong, but I can't be how most other people kind of live their lives. Even today, that there's very few places, count on one hand, the number of places I truly feel comfortable existing in or just being at. So always, always feeling like an outsider, you know, to you know, my life. I can trace that back like just being a little kid, you know, playing with the ball by myself in the backyard because no one else would play with me. So, and just sort of going alone. Not that I don't have people in my life that I love and care about and, and you know, enjoy hanging out with, but that's sort of, you know, been ingrained in me from in the beginning. And that was no one's fault. No one taught me that. That's just sort of how I uh, sort of rolled. It's very, I feel, uncommon to speak to people who as kids felt like they were cool being alone and it wasn't necessarily a bad thing or oh why don't people like me that sort of thing but it sounds like you were kind of okay to an extent with being a little different yeah hindsight's twenty twenty. looking back on that now you know it's not that I don't clamor for attention or, or you need know, to be around other people. Looking back right now, I wasn't sad that I was alone, but I do wish I had you know, more companionship as a, as a child. So yeah, I do strive for companionship. It's just been alone. It's sometimes easier, even if it hurts, I guess. So it right. alone, but I, I wasn't sad about that now. Yeah, I wish I had more companionship even to this day, but I don't think of those times as particularly sad. It's just, you know, how it was. And right. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, now I have two questions in my head. So the first question is, as a guy, as a male, as a man, what was your socialization like? Like, what did, what were you initially taught about what a guy is or what a guy is supposed to be? Probably just the, the media I consumed as a kid. My parents weren't one to, you know, sit us down and teach us, you know, lessons, life lessons. They just sort of showed us by example through how they lived their life and their relationship. I was lucky to have parents who, who were together and married, still are, still very happy. So we, we have a very nuclear family, which is great, but they never wanted to sit us down and be like, hey, this is how a man acts, this is how a woman acts, this is how you should act in your life. So I think it was just 
the media portrayal of how that is, which is 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 probably not the best way to <laughs> learn how a man acts or a woman or just a person going through society. We never got those hard lessons. They taught by example and they led a great example. Was there any ever any conflict like this? These are the messages I'm getting, but this doesn't feel like what I am. Yeah, a lot of that can go back to sexuality. I was always attracted to women. But there's always some felt conflicted inside me. So I think it was like an inner confliction of potentially having an attraction to men, which didn't sit right with me and probably doesn't sit right with with most teenage boys. So just trying to push that away, push it down and not even acknowledge it and definitely not act on it. So just in in the hopes that if I hold it down long enough, it will die and that won't be a thing. But that's not the case. So usually just comes back 10 times stronger. So yeah, I feel like it kind of goes the opposite way. Yeah, yeah. The harder you try not to let something happen, the more it comes out. So that was sort of the inner comment. And just not even knowing, not even having a name for that feeling or, or that desire or whatever the fuck that is inside right. me. Like, no one taught me what gay was or bi or straight or, you know, transgender. There's no, definitely not in school in the two days that we spent on, on sex ed. Which is so crazy. Yeah. I, it's yeah. it's yeah. kind of like you spend more time on, on the Louisiana Purchase than you do on things like social skills or sex education or yeah. yeah identifying feelings that you have inside yourself yeah so, well same with you know depression how much easier would have been if i had a good education on mental illness and i had to learn it all through experience on my own how much easier would my life have been had i had i was taught this and given proper instruction instead of just googling everything <laughs> how, do, how do i not be gay google <laughs> but which i'm sure a lot of people who are queer or gay or bi or trans have done at some point in the google age have been like how can i not be like i've probably typed that into google at some point oh yeah i know and i don't don't mean any offense by that that's just that's just something that that i did (laughs) not having access to answers as a kid when you're feeling these things is, is totally frustrating. And we live in the world with, with the, you know, we had this access to answers at our fingertips, but just not just the conversations around it, just at least, you know, 10, 15 years ago weren't happening. I think it's getting better now, but yeah. Step yeah. bit by bit. Yeah. So flipping back to, to the mental health stuff, when, how did you, the depression thing, was it something that you always kind of had an idea about, or was it something where you were like, oh, I'm feeling a certain way, I don't know exactly what's going on, but let me do some research. Or did someone pull you aside like, hey, Tanner, maybe something's wrong? How did that manifest itself? There were a couple of things. If you would just ask me, I would have told you it started, you know, when I was a teenager, 15, 16, you know, the usual symptoms, crying myself to sleep, you know, just feeling sad all the time. But remember those old like Prozac commercials, like it was like, oh, this is a cloudy day. And if you're cloudy, just raining on top of you, like, and then my mom told me this, I don't. I remember this. We said when those commercials played when I was eight, nine, ten years old, and commercial got over. And she's like, and I turned around like, "Hey, that's me." And I, for the life of me, I can't remember this because she swears <laughs> up and down that this, this happened, you know, as an eight, nine, ten year old. And also around this time, again, having you know, the access to HBO, there was this. It's kind of fucked up. There's this documentary about this little kid. It was all like home video stuff. I can't remember the name of it. But eventually, this at the end of the documentary, he kills himself. And he's just saying all these feelings I had, you know, lean up to that. And I was like, oh, I, I sort of identified with that as like, oh, that's, that's me. Not that that's my path, but like, I know what that feels like. 
but it was still four or five, six years before that for I noticed symptoms and just talking to friends and then eventually getting to the point like, hey, I can't help you anymore. You should probably get some professional help and, and not getting and then therapy happened after that, a couple years after that. I think it goes back farther than that. Even just, you know, the decision to play wiffle ball by yourself, I think speaks volumes to, you know, at least in my case, maybe, maybe there's something deeper going on. So did when you were a kid, did you have an idea of what your depression was related to? Or was it just was it not situational, just more, I guess, kind of like chemical? It was a bunch of things. Genetically, I, my family, I have a family history of depression, all kinds of mental health conditions, you know, depression, all that stuff. So I think there's a genetic factor. Environmentally, I, I had no reason to be depressed. I, my parents were together. They loved each other. They provided for us. You know, I had friends. Not that any of that actually matters at the end of the day, because you know, you're you depressed, you're depressed. I think sexuality had a lot to do with it, even if I wasn't recognizing it or you know calling it by that name at that time. Even today, I still downplay the role of my sexual reality and my mental illness. I don't know why I just do. It does have a huge effect on me. You know, anything that makes you different it, it, is cause for concern and, and feeling bad about yourself. So it had to be a huge impact, even if, even if I didn't recognize it at, at the time and still does. So absolutely, a lot of things going on. What was there a breaking point or were you just kind of like, okay, with the help of my friends, I'm going to call a therapist and kind of figure out what's what's happening here uh well i wanted to tell my parents for a long time and having real conversations with your parents is 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 always a fear at least for me it was i think it is for a lot of people i can relate to that yeah but eventually it, it got, got to a point i was in high school my senior year and uh, i did the most high school kid thing ever i texted my parents i was like out of the house away and then i texted them hey i think i'm depressed and I knew if I was out of the house, there'd be like less of a chance of like, I don't think they were going to yell me anything about it. I didn't want them to get upset. And I came home and talked about it. And the next day I went to the doctor, put me on a medication and gave me a list of therapist names. And, you know, that was 12 years ago. And here we are. It's been quite the journey. Yeah. yeah. And ongoing. One, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. One, one misconception I think a lot of people have about well, two misconceptions. People gather from the experience that, that you and I go through yeah. is one that therapy immediately cures everything, which right. it doesn't in most cases. It has to be like a, a long-term concerted effort. And the other thing is that meds cure everything immediately, which, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been on 12 or 13 different medications. Yeah, I've been on about six. 16 to 18 is my number. So, yeah. Yes. So it's a lot of trial and error and a lot of patience. So I'm in therapy and medication. And really, sometimes those things make your depression worse because you have to confront those emotions for the first time, especially therapy. You know, medications, it can be a train wreck, trial and error, and, and getting on new medications and withdrawal and all that shit. Oh, yeah. But even like in the short term, therapy can, can make things worse because you have to finally confront yourself for the first time and you never had to do that and sometimes what you see is very ugly and (laughs) you don't like that version of yourself so you have to work through that eventually you you stick with it persistence in my case was was got me on the right track in the short term it can make a messy situation even worse i I just help you you gotta stick with it eventually you will find something that that works for you so right and also 
beyond the meds, finding a good therapist sometimes can be a lot of try or not a good therapist. That's not the terminology I want to use. Finding a therapist that you have the right chemistry with. Right. Everything I read and, and been talk, talked about is that's the number one key to feeling better is find a, a therapist you can connect with. And just people always ask me, like, how do I know if my therapist is right? And that's hard to answer. I think it's in my case, it was, it was a gut thing. I just knew like, oh, this is my person I can connect with. And yeah, you just got to keep trying and don't be afraid to. It's always like, oh, OK, well, this isn't working. I'm going to find someone else. But, you know, if they're a good therapist, they encourage you to, to find the right person. So, yeah. Yeah, I've often compared it to dating, where it's like the first person you meet on a date isn't usually the person you're going to end up spending a significant amount of time with. Right. If you're really looking for somebody that's going to be cool to hang out with, you might have to go through a few people. And it's the same thing with the therapist. I think if if you want to find somebody you really click with, sometimes you do get lucky and it's the first person you have a meeting with. Mm -hmm. But Sometimes it's the fourth person, the fifth person. Sometimes it's the fifth person. And then at some point you go back to the second person. Like it's, it's you know, different for each person that goes through it. Yeah, I got pretty lucky. I got, took me two tries to get the right therapist. And nice. I had a whole psychiatrist. But just having, just having access to, to, to treatment is the other biggest barrier. It's hard to, to find good treatment, hard to find something that's cost effective. It's, it can be tough. But finding the right person is, yeah, it's like dating. Oh yeah, this is my person. Right, right. Hopefully they don't cheat on me. <laughs> well, therapists got to make money. So you, you unfortunately have to be in a polyamorous relationship with your therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because you're cognizant of all this stuff now, do you ever feel like talking about it as much as you do can sometimes make you feel worse? Or is it always like therapeutic to, to talk about this stuff? It's mostly therapeutic. I've also, this year I've been lucky enough, I don't know if you know the organization, NAMI. They have chapters all over the country. They're the nation's largest uh, grassroots mental health organization. And they have volunteers. People who live with mental illness come and volunteer speaking. So I do a couple of programs with them. One where we go into schools all virtually now and, and teach kids about mental mental health conditions, things to look for and help themselves and other people. And I, I just started doing that this year. I do a couple other programs with them, but just just volunteering with them and, and sharing my story and actually seeing kids react to it in a positive way feels like I'm actually doing something to to make a difference, make a change. And that's very therapeutic for me. It's been an awesome experience because then like if, it, if, if a joke bombs or I write a shitty song, whatever, but to actually see I'm helping someone who was in my position to make their life a little bit easier. That's been the best thing for me. So yeah, that helps. That helps a lot. What I've been doing with podcasts is a little more involved. So it's a little more taxing just because to do it the way I want to, I had to be really super involved and it's a super heavy, dark subject. So that, that can be exhausting. So to make sure I give myself enough, enough self-care, but, but yeah, every encouraging message just makes me want to keep going. So yeah. It's an awesome feeling. I say this from my own experience to know that talking about, I mean, you and I, what we have in common is that we talk about mental illness and we talk about sexuality. Mm -hmm. And those are two things that are still such taboo topics to discuss. I feel like when somebody talks about them openly, it gives other people license to actually feel what they feel. And that's a really good feeling to be like, oh, this person, now sees themselves in me or sees themselves in you 
and maybe because we're out here exposing the stuff that we go through we can really help people kind of live their fullest lives or if they have like a mental health issue they they now know that it's okay to get help and just the the responsibility of that i think is great too because uh, it puts you know not having family not having kids or uh marital partner that you know, the responsibility of, of, of being an advocate and, and continuing on that journey, I think is, is really important for me. So just to keep going, cause it's not like you're open once and then just, it's simple, easy to talk about yet to keep being courageous. And I keep having to pump myself up if it's just like one time, okay, I'm good. I can talk about whatever, but I feel like I have to keep giving myself the courage to, to keep doing the things I'm doing just because it is such a sensitive topic and I'm choosing a, a harder path. But at the end of the day, I think it's worth it. it. It is. It's absolutely rewarding. And for me, it's like by just being who I am, I could potentially make other people's lives better. So maybe by talking to people, maybe they won't have to go through some of the self-doubt and, and that kind of bullshit that I went through and, and they'll have an easier road. And it's kind of also the whole like pay it forward thing. Hey, if I help somebody, maybe they'll help somebody and they'll help somebody and it'll, it'll turn into this big circle of people kind of doing nice things for each other. Yeah, I mean, that's why I started doing what I'm doing, because I, I feel so fortunate and, and privileged to be able to get through all the shit I've got through and be in a position where I feel like I can give back. And as this is me saying thank you for all the help that I've gotten throughout the years, which is a lot. So, yeah, I, I owe that now to, to, I don't know, the world, I guess. And just remember that as hard as my life was, it was relatively easy compared to a lot of people. Just keep paying it forward. And so... That's how I think of it, mindset. Yeah. Do you ever feel like people maybe treat you differently because you're so open about about your experience? That's a good question. I never I never thought of that. I'm not I'm not I'm not sure. I don't I don't think so. I don't know how to answer that. That's a good question. <laughs> never thought of that. Yeah, you don't have to answer it. I try not to think about how other people perceive me anymore. Which That's... is easier said than done. Yeah. yeah. I'm very bad at it, but I'm trying, especially post-pandemic, you know, how do I want to live my life? What's holding me back to doing what I really want to do and just trying not to care about what people think, but you still do because we're human and that's how we're wired, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. Lately, over the past like two years, there have been a lot of comics like Gary Goleman, Chris Gethard, a lot of folks that really talk about mental health and kind of fold it into a comedy space and it's hard it's hard and not hard to make stuff like that funny yeah yeah do you is is that stuff that you fold into the comedy that you do and if so like how do you get laughs out of out of people when you're talking uh, about something that's so serious yeah i do same sort of ideal you know go for what's real in my writing and that's real and so i do it you know, to varying degrees of success so mental illness i have very good material about sexuality you know a lot of it is up to the audience and some minds are like oh this is awesome others are like i don't want to hear another word of this so sometimes it's just oh it's just a bad audience but again just just you know work on my craft until i i get to a point again where i feel uncomfortable like this is uncomfortable to talk about again that's my like true north okay i'm on the right path because this is making me uncomfortable and just trying to be real but it's a fine line and most people don't want to hear about that and they just want a simple laugh so it's constant trial and error 
It's also got to be a lot more difficult in Cincinnati than it is in New York, where I don't know, like, I think at my age and with the people that I hang out with now, it's no big deal to talk about mental health. You know, the sexuality can be tricky sometimes, but even with that, New York City has so much of everything that you can kind of find you're always going to be able to find people who are like, well, we don't, we don't care, but you're in an environment that's smaller and mm-hmm. probably a bit less immediately open-minded. Yeah. It's, it's funny. At least I had much bookings post COVID pre COVID, you know, the only places that would book me consistently were, you know, small towns or places where it's probably not the best idea to you know, talk about your mental health. Okay. But sexuality definitely, no, don't do it. So I was like, I was like, okay, I have this much material that's nothing gay, right. but, uh, but when I'm playing like the, the podunk towns, but it's like, I want to be able to do whatever I want to do wherever I'm at, which it should be anybody's goal, but you can't just do that, unfortunately. So that's, it's frustrating. But I think just moving forward, especially having a year of your life taken away, it's like, I don't want to wait anymore. I don't want to handcuff myself just because some people might have hurt feelings. Whether I do that is for another day, but like that's how I I want to feel moving forward. I can just do whatever I want. Like I might be dead tomorrow, so I might as well do what I want right now. Again, whether or not I do that remains to be seen, but that's how I feel. It's an ongoing. It's a process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, oh, Dave Chappelle can do whatever he wants. Yeah, he's at that level, but you know, not that I'm anywhere near Dave Chappelle. I could be dead in a week. I didn't tell someone to fuck off. I didn't tell a joke that I wanted to tell because. I'm playing to a bunch of, I think, like, well, why would I want to do that anymore? I can, you know. Life is short. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you got to gotta take advantage of the opportunities you have while you have them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What has been, I feel like I'm just firing off questions. What, what has been the hardest thing in terms of being a bisexual guy to come to terms with? Or have you like come to terms with it? Like, are you, are you at a stage where you're cool with it? What's that journey been like? It's, it's been mostly frustrating, I guess, uh, to be honest, you feel like you have to exist in sort of two worlds and, and you're not really comfortable in either one, but this is what it is. So having straddle, you know, those two hemispheres, it, it's difficult. I guess I, I accept it. I know this was a bit, just because I accept it doesn't mean I'm comfortable with it. Sure. Yet. So I'm still on that journey. And what does it mean to be a bisexual man? What does that look like? You know, what's the archetype for that? What does that mean for me? It's difficult. It's hard. And then having to explain it to other people. Do these people just think I'm just gay? Do they think I'm, am I, what, like, what, like, I don't, again, going back to how people perceive me. So it's, it's, it's a lot more questions than, than answers. So far. The frustrating thing I, I find about, about that, and I'm, you know, personally, much closer to one end of the spectrum than I am to the other. But the simple fact that so many people, even if they, even if they have it within themselves, don't really understand that sexuality isn't black or white. Like right. it, it's, you know, I and I still and I've said this for for years. I still think that the amount of true straight and true gay people out there is much much smaller than than we think it is just because you know everything in the world exists on a spectrum so i feel like there should be a better understanding of people who are 
again, somewhere on the spectrum. Speaking as, as a male, I certainly think there is bi erasure. And I think that, yeah, if you're a bi guy, you kind of get it coming and going because yeah. straight people think that you're gay, which you're not. Right. And gay people think you're like saying you're bisexual, but you're really gay, which, it, 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 you know, that's, that's kind of been my experience. Yeah. Even in the community, you feel like you have to defend your honor. I swear to God, I'm, 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 uh, like, I could just show you pages of, of Tinder matches because I put bisexual on my profile. Right. This, this so it lessens that awkward conversation coming up at some point Sure, out there and be like, just people are like, oh, how do you really know your boss? It's like, why can't you accept that? Like, what do I have to do to, to prove? To like, yeah, it's like, yeah. how how do you even prove that? It's like, if you like pancakes, how do you prove you like pancakes? Yeah. Like, you're eating them. Yeah. Right. So yeah. It, it's, it's, that's, that's, so that's what I have. It, I just, it's right. in me. It's how I feel. I don't know how to manifest that for you. I don't know. So, yeah, it's frustrating, you know? And you can't explain something that isn't linear. Like you can't explain something that works different ways for different people. Yeah. Like you just got to be who you are and, and, and that's that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just hopefully you find someone who's, who's understanding and, yeah. you know, doesn't give a shit. All right. And there are, pl- I mean, there are plenty of understanding people out there. Yeah. Wh- what was the coming out? I mean, what was it like to to speak to your loved ones, you know, whether it be like friends or family and and, and out yourself? It's still ongoing. I'm open about it. I've posted about it. But it's also like at the point where like, OK, I, I had to remember, OK, who who knows and who doesn't? <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, right. Like, oh, does this person know? Does that person is like I've, I've posted about it. it. Do they see it? Do they? I don't know. So it's like just trying to remember who the fuck I came out to. All the important people, you know, close friends family, parents, like that. And uh, so, yeah, it started in college, again, pushing that s- stuff down for years. And it finally came to a head, I think in college, like, okay, this is who I am. Then you got to wrap your head around, okay, how do I tell other people? Do I have to tell other people? So it, I came out to my parents first and, you know, they were very, they were good about it. They were accepting. It was great. That's awesome. Yeah. And really there's only been like one person who's been kind of a dick about it. Everyone else has been cool, but you know, at least me, I focused on the one person who didn't accept me and not think about all everyone else who's been super cool so it was just the process you know once i came out to my parents yeah i kind of just went down the list okay i want you know siblings to know i didn't necessarily come out to my grandparents i one of them i i wanted to but you know it's a different generation you don't know how it's going to go yeah and they unfortunately passed and without me ever telling them uh, i did tell the one that that was the one that i have left i, I came out to them over pandemic just because my grandpa died pre-pandemic, like right, like right as everything was shutting down, he broke his leg and had to go in surgery and didn't really come out of surgery. And then I didn't tell him. And then just knowing that I didn't tell him, my grandparents really, you know, weighed on me. And, and over a pandemic, I came out to my last grand, my dad's dad. And he was super cool about it, which I feel good about. But yeah, so it was just going down the list of who, you know, who do I want to know? And then just, you know, using, you know, the sexuality in my art, you know, that's another way of coming out. So it's, I feel like every day I'm, I'm like coming out. So it's like, when's it over? When, when can I just <laughs> relax? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that never, I mean, I never really thought about it until just now, but I guess that's something that rears its head with every new person you meet kind of, it's like, okay, when do I have to have this discussion? 
Yeah, when, when do I have to play that card? That's funny. Band-Aid. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you doing for like self-care? Like we've talked about self-care a little bit in between kind of the other stuff, but what mm-hmm. when Tanner wants to take care of himself or when he wants to like bring himself down a little bit or, or, or when things are a little too heavy, like what do you do to get yourself back on a level? Try to step away from social media just because it's, it's ugly and it's, consuming smart man yeah make sure i'm going to therapy i'm in i'm in therapy a couple times a month journaling is good writing is big for me working out exercising socializing seeing friends playing music is big for me so that those are sort of what i'm my my mainstays so and are you one of those musicians that like practices every day i'm not the best musician i'll tell you that right now um (laughs) i know i i know enough to to get what's in my head out on whatever instrument I'm playing. So well, my records, I, I, do, I do all the parts myself. I just gave it, you know, real blue hearted kids. That way people thought it was a band and I band, just right. one person doing everything, you know, it's a band now, but it wasn't in the beginning. So I forgot what the question was. I'm sorry. I oh, it was, well, it was self-care and then it was yeah. kind of like, shit, I forgot what the question was too. Right. Yeah. I mean, like my friends who, I always feel like I've only. Well, practicing. Practicing. Right. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. No, I don't. Uh, I write a lot of songs. They say Paul McCartney wakes up with songs in his head. Like that's how he wrote yesterday. He just changed scrambled eggs. Scrambled eggs yesterday. Yeah. And that's how I am, which makes me. I'm, I guess I'm kind of like Paul McCartney. You're Paul McCartney. There yeah. you go. Nowhere near his level, but I you know, <laughs> wake up and do I have time to to sit the fuck around on the guitar, figure this out before I have to get ready for work, or you know, I'll be running like oh, and so I I, I hear stuff in my head and just. I fuck around on the instrument to like get the right chord or whatever I hear in my head. So that's how I write, and uh, I don't really practice because I don't have time, and I don't really need to because it's not my livelihood. So right, uh, I'm not trying to be the biggest greatest. I want to do well, but that's too many cooks in the kitchen, man. It's got too much, too much shit going on. Whole lot of shit happening. Yeah, I wonder this question for myself sometimes: Is there such a thing as being too busy? Probably, probably. First season of the podcast is done. I'm getting my back into comedy. I don't really have anything pressing or do. Right? I feel antsy. I'm only happy, like I said earlier, I'm working on something or creating something. And now I'm kind of like in like this, trying to force myself to take it easy. And it's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. They need to be doing <laughs> So I think that's a problem. Eventually, you know, I, I need to learn to separate myself. Busy is how, how I, I guess I maintain myself. So learning to be idle and is hard for me so that's where i'm at right now i'm I'm trying trying to be okay with nothing but it's super hard because i was like ah because i didn't because i for the longest time i didn't do anything you know until i was like i didn't do anything as a teenager it wasn't until i got out of college i felt like i finally was able to be a person and i felt like i'm just making up for lost time sure that's why i try to be so prolific but learning to be still is difficult I get it. I think I'm in the same boat. When I was a kid, you could put me in front of the TV for three hours and I'd be fine. I could stand in front of a record player and play records for hours on end when I was a kid. Now, if I'm going to put on a record, I have to be reading a book and I have to be checking messages on my phone and I have to be like cleaning something and I have to be doing five things at the same time. I can't just let my body rest in my mind kind of rest and enjoy music as it is. It's really weird. And I think some of it is, some of it is cultural because now we just live in this space where everyone's expected to do 6,300 million things at once. Yeah. But 
I think some of it is also just idle time as a concept freaks me out. I do a bunch of stuff, but I had to do one thing at a time. Like I'm reading, I have to read. I can't read and listen to something. I can't write and listen to something. My brain doesn't multitask like that. Right. I do, you know, okay, I'll work on music for a couple of hours. I'll go work on the podcast for a couple of hours. I'll write for an hour. You know, I'll read for half an hour. It's a lot, but I can't do it all together. That's just how my brain works. That's not how, how I roll. But yeah, it just it feel like I'm a con. Okay, I did this, this, and this. Good. I can go to bed. I'm good. Yeah. It's night. Yeah. Is there anything like personally that you feel like you still have to conquer? Like internally, is there anything that you still feel like, man, I gotta, I, I gotta figure this out. I gotta make these strides forward in my life. I need to get a handle on this. Uh, yeah, I would like to, I'd like to get better at asking for help or accepting help when I need help, take more initiative socially, dating, all that stuff. Um, Are you, because I guess, because you do music and comedy and these things are so outward facing, do you consider yourself a shy person? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one-on-one talking one-on-one with someone is like, I, I, I can talk to anyone, but it's like, uh, a little shy, you know, the, the, the comedy of the music mass, it's an inflated version of myself. So I still try to be as real as I can, you know, but, but yeah, I'm definitely yeah shy, but I, if people come and talk to me, I don't feel anxious. I'm just not, I won't initiate it so much who I am, I guess. Sure. I, you know, every personalities are different. And I do think a lot of, a lot of us, kind of when we're doing public facing stuff have that kind of like yeah this is the real me but it's like an inflated version of yeah. me like you're able to put that extrovert button on and be kind of a showman version of yourself a little bit yeah and with each thing that i do performance wise it's sort of a different version of myself who i am when i'm performing comedy is who i feel like i actually am the voice that i have that I'm talking with that that feels like that's actually me doing the music is 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 more of a you know I sort of say that's like my alter ego I get to you know be <laughs> the person who I'm not usually am outside of performing music so different facets of myself and then when you meet me I just try just try to be a nice person I don't know so I have different different facets of myself depending on what I'm doing but yeah we're, we're multi-dimensional people and are you looking forward I mean COVID through this fucking gigantic monkey wrench in the middle of life for most of us, if not all of us, you're yep. looking forward to getting back on the road and, and doing the stuff that, that you do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, like a lot of my friends who are comedians and stuff, they, they really struggled over the pandemic uh, just because you know, that their whole identity, their whole life is performing and we couldn't perform. Uh, I was lucky to where I able to work on other, other things, other projects It gave me just time to really work on the podcast the whole well that's that what you hear in the podcast is my pandemic project um, right so it all happened then most of it so i'm lucky to where I, I can do other things and not have to worry about you know if i don't have enough gigs or whatever but yeah of course you know i miss it it's a fucking it's a drug when you go up there and it's going great it's like this is awesome so you know, of course i, I want to keep pursuing that so yeah it's great i'm also i'm also thankful for the perspective that last year has given me and hopefully the rest of the world. So I, I worry about that, man, because I see things opening up so quickly and I'm like, okay, let's please not forget what has happened from March 12th, 2020 until now. Yeah. I feel like this moment 
the universe wanted us to take some time out and reflect. For sure. And I think a lot of people aren't, they, you always hear people, oh, just go back to normal. It's like, well, normal. Normal's gone, buddy. That's not going to happen. Like, does it normal, at least what you think is normal, it's, like, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. You can't shut the world down for a year and not be different. That's what I'm, you know, really thinking, okay, what do I really, really want to do? How do I want to start living? How do I want to behave? And I just feel like so many people are like, oh, back to normal, whatever, fuck it. Let's go to the beach. And you wasted this time. Right. That's all. Right. And I've had this last question kind of formulating in my head for a while. What do you think? I guess this is a two part question. As a man, what do you think prevents guys from being the most authentic version of themselves? Because you are a super authentic person. You deal with some real shit and you're open about it in a world where it's not encouraged to be open and most people are afraid to be open. So what do we need to do for people of all genders or no gender to just kind of stimulate or, or maybe stimulate is not the right word, to promote being authentic? That's a good question. You just have to get to know yourself better and just really learn what makes yourself tick and ask why, why do I do what I do? Why do I do that? Why do I react that way? Why did I, why did I do this? Why do that? Introspection is, is, I think, overlooked thing in our society. I think a lot of people would benefit from, from going to therapy or you don't have to live with a mental health condition to get some sort of benefit from it. I think the more we look in ourselves, the more we, we try to figure out, again, what makes us tick, then we can start to grow as people. So I think that goes for anybody. And I still have lots of rocks to overturn in, in my own life, but just willing to, to do the work and try to figure out why I am the way I am has helped me a lot. And when to pursue that even further, just dig it up from the root and see, go all the way to the beginning. I want to hold on to that thought for a minute and really stress the importance of finding a therapist. We've talked about therapy in just about every episode of this series so far, and I cannot stress enough how important it is to find an impartial third party that you can speak to on a regular basis about the stuff you're dealing with and everybody's dealing with stuff like we're all dealing with stuff particularly having come out well i guess we're not all out of the pandemic and we don't know what the future holds in regards to that but in one way or another we've all been through a serious sea change in the past year and a half and even if we weren't already messed up before that which many of us myself included were and are uh, i think you still need somebody to talk through everything that's gone on recently with. So, I, again, I can't stress enough, find a therapist. If you don't have one, if you're not happy with your current therapist, find another one. If you need resources to find therapists, you can go to psychologytoday.com. You can uh, look on the internet for text or um, phone services or cost-effective services. Uh, you can also look on the website of your insurance provider. You can look on ZocDoc. There are tons of ways you can find therapists. It's really important. I, I think you should do it. And if you need any support, hit me up. And uh, thank you, Tanner, for being so open and honest about your story. And I wish you the best as a friend, of course. And uh, I, I really appreciate the time you took to be on this podcast. If you yourself want to find Tanner and the things that he does, you can find the Heavy Head Podcast anywhere that podcasts are available. And you can also follow Tanner on Instagram, either at Heavy Head Pod or at T. Hines Comic. Thanks for listening to Detoxicity. 
show is hosted and produced by me, Mike Joseph. Calvin Williams wrote and performed the music you hear at the beginning and end of each episode, and Jacob Block designed the logo. The concept of this show was created by me with inspiration from Jeff Giles and Andrew Grossman. If you'd like to reach out to me to offer feedback, recommend a guest, or guest on the show yourself, feel free to reach out to me via socials. I'm DetoxPodGuy on Instagram, TizMikeJoseph on Twitter. You can also email me, DetoxPod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and healthy, and take care of yourselves. Till next time, peace.